guys, it's 6.45. You guys get your gummy bears and, and candy and such in the back. You got, we got coffee back there. Everybody got their coffee? We ready to go? Um, great. Okay, well, hey, my name is, uh, is Tyler Durham. I'm one of the uh, young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. And I'm really excited about tonight. This is something that we've uh, prayed about a lot, talked about a lot. And um, this is an area in our ministry that I think we've kind of been lacking in in, in the last year. Uh, we spent a lot of our time getting Renovate on its feet and getting Renovate going. But for those of you who maybe are a little further along in the faith or maybe have more questions when it comes to the intellectual side of Christianity, we wanted to create an environment where we could go deeper and talk about things that uh, probably wouldn't be appropriate to talk about on Wednesday night since we're trying to reach people who don't know Christ. So uh, I just want to admit up front, this stuff might be a little more in-depth for some of you and maybe not enough for others. And so at any point in time tonight, if you have questions, I want you to ask questions. I want you to, to be interactive. I don't want this just to be me talking. And, uh, and so this is called the Roundtable. Two years ago, I started a group with about 12 guys called the Roundtable. And uh, I just thought it was a cool name. And we would meet every Thursday night uh, down in The View, and we would talk about uh, different theological books, different cultural books, different secular books, and we would wrestle with the ideas behind these books. Because I think it's very important that we as Christians develop our Christian mind, and that's what we're going to talk about um, tonight. But I can remember when I was 21 years old, I was a baseball player in Louisiana, so I was a jock. I wasn't very smart. I went through the motions in college, had uh, no discipline in the classroom. It was procrastination, wait to the last minute and just survive so that I could do what I wanted to do, which was play baseball. And my Christian faith, I grew up in a Christian home, but it was kind of a nominal Christian home. Um, there, there wasn't a lot. I wasn't involved in youth groups, and we went to church on Sunday and sat in the back and, you know, my dad gave me the Left Behind series to read when I was in high school. And I watched John Hagee on TV because my dad made me do that. And so it was kind of this um, emotional, um, experiential Christianity. But there was no development of my mind. There was nobody uh, really driving me into the Bible. There was nobody uh, challenging me to think Christianly. And so I was... Uh, not prepared for the things I experienced in college. Do you all know what I'm talking about with that? A lot of different things I experienced in college. And, and I remember at one point, I was 21, I was uh, in, in Natchitoches, Louisiana at Northwestern State University, and the FCA director there, his wife, Rose Long, who I love deeply, she was like a second mom to me, I remember was at, I was at her house one day, and we were just, it was kind of a conversation, just how are things going and how's your life? And she said, hey, I think you would benefit from listening to this CD series. I don't know if you all know what CDs are, but back in my day, we had CDs. And um, it was a, a Georgia Tech forum that a guy named Ravi Zacharias did. Um, this, was in this was in 2001, I think was the year. And so she gave me this, it was like a three CD set of Ravi Zacharias at Georgia Tech University. Do any of y'all know who Ravi Zacharias is? You can raise your hands. Um, this guy is one of the most influential guys in my Christian faith. I didn't have any theological background. I didn't have any knowledge of the scriptures. I had, you know, written, bit, written or read bits and pieces here and there. I'd, I'd read some discipleship books 
But I started listening to this godly man at a secular university um, argue for his faith and defend his faith um, in, in a winsome way, in a loving way, and in an amazingly confident way. And then at the end, the, the third CD was a Q&A with students at Georgia Tech University. So there was professors in the room. And these are professors from the science department, from the um, history department, from the religion department, which are the, the meanest when it comes to these things. And they were all just trying to stump him and grill him and, and, and peg him into a corner. And they were asking these amazing questions that I was like, oh my gosh, I have no clue what he's talking about. And I have no clue even how I would answer, attempt to answer this question. In every question, he just was with, with skill and with knowledge and with understanding and with pathos answered these questions from skeptics that didn't believe in Christianity. And, and my heart was set ablaze. And from that day forward, I've been on this trajectory of wanting to develop my Christian mind and, and excite other people to develop their Christian mind. And, uh, you know, I probably remembered 1% of what he was saying or even understood 1%. And that's okay. I think we live in, in a culture, in a Christian culture, where if we don't understand everything, and if everything's not just completely applicable, and hey, if there's any moment where you're not sure what they're saying, you're like, oh, this is too heady. I don't understand that. For me, I didn't understand a clue, but I was inspired. And I was motivated. And at that point, I said, this is what I want to pursue. I want to know God. Not just sentimentally, but but intellectually and at the depths of my soul and so at, at 21 years old even as a baseball player I began to start reading books and thinking about these things and it opened up a whole new world for me and so as Ben and I and the rest of the staff kind of kind of noodled and dreamed about what we could do this semester one of the critiques we got from last year was that we didn't have these places where we could go deeper where we could actually start diving deeper into the scriptures and into our understanding of the biblical worldview. And so that's what this is. I don't think we did a great job pitching that leading up to this day. But what we're doing here is we're going to, um, we're going to develop the Christian mind. And so we've only got three, three times that we meet this semester. So in these three times, I want to do three things. Tonight, I want to talk about, I want to sell you guys on why the Christian mind is extremely important to develop. And so we're going to walk through a few things about what does it mean to think Christianly? What does it mean to have a Christian worldview? And then uh, the second month in November, we're going to talk about what's a secular mindset. And so what are the opposing worldviews that are competing with the Christian worldview? And so we're going to look at a lot of the things that you learned in, in college from your professors about relativism and postmodernism and naturalism and how do those things match up with a Christian worldview. And then finally in December we're going to meet and we're going to look at how can we take a Christian worldview, a Christian mindset for all of life and engage this secular culture. What we're not going to do is, is find out what this Christian mindset is and then retreat from the culture. And we're going to talk about that in a moment and build up the walls. I want you to be equipped to understand what you believe and then bring it into the secular culture that we live in. Okay, and we're going to flesh this out as we go tonight. But the first thing I want to do is I want you guys at your tables to start thinking about this stuff. And so each table has two questions. I want you to look at those questions and I want you to talk about those for about the next 15 minutes and then we're going to get together and talk about it as a group. So let's just go ahead and do that at your tables. 
Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're recording tonight, and so um, we're going to have a mic that goes around, but I kind of want to hear what your tables were thinking, uh, how you answered the questions. And so if you would, just read the question real quick and then tell us what your table uh, thought about. If, if you're not one of the ones who's extremely shy and would be terrified of doing that, if you would love to do that, we'll start at your table. So which table wants to kick us off? Just thoughts on your discussion. Some of the questions There's a variety of different ones. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead and read your, your question. Brett's got it, so let's go over here. Is this guy on? Okay, cool. Um, our question was, how would you define a Christian worldview? And as a table, we kind of landed on um, just this idea of um, living and looking at everything with an eternal perspective in light of God's character. So basically looking at everything through the lens of the gospel and looking at everything with a perspective of how does this affect the kingdom and how does this affect the people around me in reference to their view of who God is and who God is in their life. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great definition. And I, I love how you said the lens of the Bible. You know, it's like you're wearing the... the uh, uh, glasses of the Bible, and you're seeing all of reality through the lens of the Bible. And so, when when you say all and everything, what does that entail? Um, basically, I guess it depends. I mean, there's so many different examples, but I would say just in interactions with people, specifically non-believers, like if you are, <clears throat> if you keep an eternal perspective, you are going to think about how everything that you do or everything that you say around a non-believer is mm -hmm. going to affect them right? and what it's going to do for them eternally. But I think in a broader picture, if we, if we look at specific issues like social issues or just basic viewpoints on how do, we, how do we live in our culture, like if we keep an eternal perspective and if we look at everything through the lens of Scripture... And through the lens of the gospel, it's going to change the way we interact. So when I say all or everything, I literally, literally everything. Every aspect of your life yeah. under the sovereignty of God. What, how, how can you bring him glory and praise and advance the kingdom, I think you said. Yeah, that's a great, great answer. Anybody else on that? I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. Was there another table that had that same question? Who would like to comment on, on that? No, we, we didn't. Hey, can we get that on record? Go ahead and yeah, say that again. We, uh, we answered it the same, but we like use more articulate words. That's Ben Fuqua. He's one bigger of our words. most humble pastors. Much Thank you, Ben. Y'all continue. <laughs> okay, so that was it. That, that's your answer. Okay. That was, that was a good answer. Connor's going to do better in his own table. I want to hear it. Yeah. You know, we also kind of talked about like WWJD and how that kind of gets thrown around just because like oh do good things it's like, a cliche what would Jesus, yeah. yeah what would Jesus do but actually like really thinking in the lens of that like Aaron was saying like living the way that Jesus lived in every aspect as well but, like if Jesus was here like what would he do in this situation who would he be talking to um, would he be uncomfortable you know actually like taking what would Jesus do and, and applying it yeah yeah and and his 
as much of a cliche as that's become in, in our little Christian subculture, the WWJD bracelets, there is a lot of truth in that, in living your life, thinking what, what is it that Jesus would have us do in that situation. Ariana, are you, are you waiting to... Anti-establishment, hey, not cliche anymore. That's great, awesome. Um, what are some other questions? Got one over here. So the, the one of the questions we had was, how confident are you that your faith would hold up intellectually? And if you were challenged by someone with a lot of intellectual objections to Christianity, would you be able to answer them? And would your faith be shaken? And so speaking from personal experience, whenever I was in school, I worked in an environment that where I was basically surrounded almost exclusively by um, some fairly militant atheists. <laughs> so it made for an interesting two and a half year period where I would regularly be grilled over um, basically every aspect of my life and why I would do certain things or why I would not do certain things, you know, mm -hmm. especially in a college environment. Um, and so, you know, through that process, it definitely made me grow substantially in my faith because whenever I would be asked certain questions, you know, some of them I would know the answer to based off of Scripture um, through my own walk, you know, already up to that point. And there were lots of other questions where I did not know the answer. And so, you know, through my own, uh, whether going through Scripture or whether through um, seeking teaching from someone older and wiser than myself or, you know, whatever avenue, uh, whenever I would come to an understanding, you know, it would just make my faith that much more solid because mm -hmm. whenever... Because there was never a question that whenever I got to the answer, I thought, oh, well, this refutes the gospel, or this refutes the Bible, or whatever. It, was always, it would always make it that much more sound and just show that, that, that it truly is an errant, and it is the inspired word of God, and that if someone really does dig deep enough and, and just removes their own preconceived notions, you know, instead of, instead of finding what they want to find, if they really do approach it with an open mind, sure. then it will always hold up. You know, and that's, that's why... Um, our faith is unshakable, you know, because of Jesus and who he is. And so, um, anyway, so it just made me stronger going through that process. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. How many of you guys, by show of hands, and then I'll get to you, Ashley, have, have kind of bailed out on a conversation um, because you felt like you, you intellectually weren't able to defend your Christian position? And it's, it's okay. I mean, I would raise my hand at, at some point in time. Um, you know, that's that's kind of a intimidating position and, and sometimes can be a frustrating position that you don't know the answers for that. But but yeah, I think one of the things you mentioned was finding older godly people to help uh, help you grow in your knowledge of the scriptures and your knowledge of these how you would answer these very difficult questions in our culture is very important. Ashley, you're going to say something? I was. Um, we didn't have that question at our table, but Melanie and I have actually had that discussion before. Um, and something that we brought up in that conversation was just that we serve a God who's complex. And when you think about that, do you want somebody or to serve a God that isn't complex, that you understand? When you, when you look at this world and think of things that are mind-blowing, like, it's already, there are things that I look at and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even fathom that. And that's the God that we serve. And so for the things that, you know, you can't understand, that's God. And so when you come across those conversations, sometimes you just got to say, I don't know. And there are things in this world that you're not going to know. Can you solve the most complex question? No, but God has those answers and you just got to be okay with not knowing it. What's the best thing to do in that situation where you don't know the answer? Be say, honest. I don't know the answer. 
you know, don't don't try to, yeah, don't just try to wing it and and you know get what I when I do that, what happens is my my temperature starts to rise and I start to get frustrated and then it becomes um, I'm I'm talking about it in the wrong posture and and things go bad when I do that. The best thing to do is say I don't know and I'll I'll do my best to try to find out the answer. So yeah, great points. What uh, some other questions at your table? Robert. Okay. Um, we had the question, in what ways do you engage your mind in your relationship with Christ? And I think we talked about a lot of things. One of the things that we talked about was reading and seeking out people who are older and smarter than you. So like when you read a John Piper, when you read a Matt Chandler, they're going to have a ton of weighty and lofty observations that there's no way I would come to the conclusion on my own. And so it opens up a door to an avenue where you can start questioning, okay, how did they get to that conclusion? What did they see in Scripture? Or what have they experienced that's led them to believe this? And so it allows you to see a perspective that you may have not known before, and then you get to fight through the perspective of, okay, God is true. Like, this is true. It does uphold God. So, like, we get to then seek out and ask questions of, like, how does this prove him true? Like, how is he true in this? Um, And then other ways of like Brett said, using the lens of the Bible for everything, like finding everything in this world and how it relates back to God and looking at uh, mountains, looking at beautiful scenery, beautiful nature and seeing God's power in it, God's sovereignty and finding all the ways that it does relate back to him um, just allows you to make those connections of he is in everything and allowing you to see those connections and see just truly how powerful he is. Um, and then having someone who plays devil's advocate, having a friend where you sit down and you have a weighty conversation and they specifically ask you, why do you believe that? How did you get to that conclusion? Because you are going to have those conversations. I see smiles all over the room. <laughs> who are the devil's advocates? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, wow. They're pointing fingers. Wow. It's a witch hunt. Um, anyways, keep going. Um, because you are going to have those conversations uh, because you're Christian and you stick out and you're not supposed to blend in, so people are going to notice, hey, you're living a different lifestyle, so they're going to ask you about it. So when those come up, if you've had someone be like, okay, why do you not um, go out and get drunk? Why do you not go out and do all of these things? You can provide them with an answer because you've had someone who is a believer talk with you through that, and y'all are able to find that answer together. Yeah, that's a great point. Just intellectual development by someone in the group taking an opposing position just so that you guys can flesh out what you believe. And um, I think as long as you take the devil's advocate position in a posture of humility and it doesn't become this, you know, escalation, I I think that's very productive. Um, And in fact, in one of my systematic theology classes, the, the professor had us take opposing views in that class and then we had to debate those views and, and see who is voted the best uh, debate in the class. It was very helpful just to see both perspectives and, and it strengthened our faith for sure. Um, I love that question. Does anybody else, did anybody else have that question at their table and want to comment on that? We'll, we'll go Jessica and then Forrest. And then we'll probably wrap it up and we'll have time at the end to do some Q&A. So. I think uh, to add to what you said, we talked about a couple things, but one of the things that stuck out to me the most was being purposeful about taking time to look at Scripture deeply in your personal relationship. Um, 
which tied into our question, our other question that we had was defending the faith, the one that you were talking about, Payne, um, that taking the time to have a personal relationship with Christ can oftentimes help you engage your mind with him because obviously he's the one you're in a relationship with. And I was just thinking to myself that when we speak of Christ to other people, he's there. And in a way, that's the best way to engage in your relationship with him because who better to talk about than the person that loves you more than anybody, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that um, for all of us at the table, we talked about praying and um, Ari was talking about listening to podcasts or having conversations with other people and defending your faith and getting excited about that and being able to share those things and not necessarily in like a rude or belittling way, but just being confident about him. I think that is engaging in his relationship because you're talking about him. Yeah, that's great. great. That's really good. Forrest, do you have anything you want to add to that? How can I add to that? They took all the talking points. (laughs) Uh, I think my favorite summary uh, of setting your mind on Christ uh, talks about the categories of saturation and meditation. So just what are your inputs and how are you being deliberate in your thoughts? That's great. What does saturation and meditation on the Word of God require? Time. And what, what, what do we not have on a weekly basis? Time. And, and so something's got to give. And I, I think it's a great point that if we meditate and saturate our minds with Scripture, um, we're better able to respond in those moments because we have the Word of God um, fresh in our mind. We don't have to look it up. So great point, Forrest. Okay, so real quick, you've got notes on your tables. I'm not going to take too long, but I kind of want to give you a little bit of content tonight on why this is so important to me and why I think this should be so important to you. Um, The reason I didn't do an outline with fill in the blanks is because honestly, I think studies have shown that when you write down things in your own, you know, old-fashioned way of getting a pen and writing it down, it sticks a little better. And uh, if you would like for me to send you a more extensive outline, I can definitely do that. And so come up and talk to me afterwards. And then another big thing is on the back, I put some, some key resources that I think um, would be helpful if you want to take these next steps in growing um, in a biblical worldview and a biblical mindset. And so this isn't exhaustive, obviously, but these are what I think are some really good books to get you going. Some are more harder than others. Um, but also, I've got some podcasts that I listen to all the time that have really blessed me. And then at the bottom, there's some apps that you can download for free that give you, you an amazing amount of resources. So um, I definitely want you to make use of that. So one of the podcasts I was listening to the other day was called The Briefing. Al Moeller, anybody listen to The Briefing? Anyone? Please? No? Okay. Well, uh, you'll need to listen to The Briefing. Um, <laughs> Al, Al Moeller is the president at Southern Seminary. He is a, he's, a, he's a godly man. He has a library of about 25,000 books in the basement of his house at uh, the presidential house at Southern Seminary. And each room of the basement is a certain topic. So church history room, theology room, uh, civil war. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, what's that? I know because it's that's a dream of mine to have a big library like that. But this this guy is is amazing. When he was a kid, he used to read the the dictionary encyclopedia on family road trips. He's a little weird. He's a nerd, but um, he's got a deal called the briefing that he every morning 
looks at the latest news headlines from the previous day from a biblical worldview. And so it's really interesting. It's only 20 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, and he just runs through um, how does a biblical, how does a Christian look at this through the biblical lens? Two days ago, he talked about for the first time in the history of Harvard University, the first time in the history of Harvard University, more students enrolled checking atheist or agnostic on the box than religious. First time in the history, Harvard has been around since the 1600s. And that, that is a crazy statistic because a lot of people check the box of religious and by the time they get through Harvard, they check the box atheist or agnostics. But these, these students are coming into the college already with a secular worldview. And let me tell you the influence that Harvard has. Um, nine out of the ten of our, or nine out of the twelve of our Supreme Court justices graduated from Harvard. Uh, CEOs all over the country, Harvard. Uh, presidents and, and vice presidents and politicians graduate from Harvard. People who graduate from Harvard leave and go run massive corporations. Um, they're overseeing massive parts of our political system and our judicial, judicial system. They are shaping the culture. Hollywood, media, um, this is a major shift in our culture, guys. Those of you who graduate from TCU, you know what I'm talking about. Texas Christian University. And yet, every year, our university becomes more and more secular. Guys, we're living in a post-Christian culture, whether you like it or not. And we're in the Bible Belt. Um, Europe is about 10 years. If you want to know where we're going to be, look at Europe. Because we're always about 10 years behind Europe. And so look at the things that are going on in Europe. Those are the things we're going to be dealing with right here in the United States in the next 5 to 10 years. It's a secular culture. I listen to another podcast I listen to. It's from a non-believer. He's actually a, a militant atheist. And he was talking about how he thought Ben Carson was a great scientist. But he was out of his mind when it came to his Christianity. That he was really good in this one area, but apparently he's lost his mind in this other area. And he spent the next 15 to 20 minutes of this podcast just railing on how silly and ridiculous a guy that smart could believe the things that we believe. We live in a secular culture, guys. And what we have to realize is that as Christians, there's a response that we have to take. We have to respond to the culture that we're living in. And historically, and if you all have been in the residency, you, you know where I'm going with this. But historically, the church has reacted in two different ways. One way, the church has become just like the culture. So we're shifting to more secular and our social issues and political issues. And the church people just kind of go along right with that. And their theology changes, their positions on uh, politics and social issues like abortion and gay marriage and all those things. They just kind of go with the tide of the culture. And so they, you can't distinguish them from the person who doesn't believe in Jesus because there's no difference. There's no difference. They might profess one thing, but they look exactly like someone who has completely rejected Jesus Christ because they have embraced that culture oftentimes with good intentions. Hey, I want to build bridges. I want them to know that I love them. And in and, 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 and building bridges, slowly they lose and leave the gospel. Okay, there's a group of people who do that. But in our context, I don't think that's normally our problem. 
What do you think our problem is in, in our world? We go on the other side of the spectrum and we completely separate from the culture. So we, the secular world is going down the drain and look at all the things in the news headlines, doom and gloom, apocalypse, the four horsemen. I can't wait to get the hell out of here so that these people can go to hell and I can go to heaven. You know, I'm going to start building up. I'm going to start building up walls around the church. I'm going to protect myself from the evil people that are around me. And they've completely separated themselves from the culture. And so we have our own little subculture. We have our own little language. We have our own little inside jokes. We, we dress our own way. We listen to our own music. And, and, you know, we work for people who are Christians because we don't want to work in a world where there's people who use bad language and there's people who go out and party. We want to just be in our little bubble so that we can be safe and secure. Those are the two different ways we go. And so tonight I want to focus just for a minute on why there's this retreat element of the Christian church. So in your notes you can jot down some things if, if, if you want to. So I'm not going to talk about the, the group of Christians that become like the culture. I want to talk about the group of Christians who overreact and separate completely from the culture. Make sense? Following with me? Okay, so... This is the evangelical Christian retreat that in your notes. I think it's number two. Um, we've retreated. We live in a culture where the battle is in the realm of ideas. Okay? Our battle is against principalities and powers and ideas. It's not against necessarily individuals. And so we're dealing with ideas. And, uh, and so we've got to deal with them in, in a legitimate, winsome, intellectual way. Um, okay, so how have we retreated from the culture? Number one, we've become superficial in our faith. So if you're taking notes, we've become superficial in our faith. Francis Schaeffer was a 20th century theologian who had a huge impact in the evangelical world. He said the problem with the church is we don't have honest answers to honest questions. Okay, so what happens if a church builds the walls and we get the walls secure, we got a good little castle, and we're insulated? Do you think we know the questions that the outside world are asking? No, we have no idea. And so a lot of churches are asking questions that people have been asking 30, 40, 50 years ago, but the, the 21st century culture we live in today, those are not the questions that we're asking and so our faith comes across superficial because we're not willing to address the real questions that people are asking. Questions about sexuality, questions about bioethics and contraception and birth control and, um, you know, war, just war versus, um, uh, you know, what is an unjust war and politics and is Republican the right way to go or Democrat? We, we don't like to talk about those things in the church because they're divisive. So we just create our own list of questions to answer, but they're not the ones our culture is answering. So our faith becomes superficial. Number two, and this is a big one. I want to spend a moment on this. We've bought into the sacred secular split. The sacred secular split we have completely embraced. And what that means is, is there's a world that we live in where there's sacred things, but then there's a world that we live in that that is secular, and we don't want to get those worlds mingling. 
Francis Schaeffer, Chuck Colson, um, Carl Henry, Nancy Piercy are names that would be connected to this kind of uh, look at the world. And so I've I got an illustration because it's the best way to explain this. But here's what the sacred secular split looks like. They talk about it in terms of upper story and lower story. So for each of these examples, there's an upper story and lower story. So think of a two-story house. You've got the upper story, lower story. In modern societies, the private sphere is in the upper story. Okay, and as I go along with this, it should make more sense. So hang with me. That's your personal preferences. So in the upper story, it's our private lives. And I have my own personal preferences. You have your own personal preferences. You have your own personal preferences. But in the bottom story, the lower story, you have the public sphere. And that's scientific knowledge. Personal preferences, scientific knowledge. And so here's an example of what happens with that. My wife, Ariane, raise your hand. This is my beautiful wife. We've been married for seven years. She's from Brazil, born and raised in Brazil. And one of her best friends in college was also a Brazilian. Her name was Talita. And I became buddies with Talita as I got to know Ari. And I remember one day I was riding along with them. And they were both biology majors um, at Northwestern State. And I asked Talita... I said, what are your views on evolution? I know you're a good Catholic girl. You grew up in the Catholic church in Brazil. What are your views on evolution? And she says, well, um, I believe that Adam and Eve were real persons. But when I'm in the classroom, I believe in evolution. And I kind of stopped and was like, wait a minute. So, so you believe that Adam and Eve were real people because you're, the Catholic church tells you to do that. And so one part of your life you believe that. But when it comes to classes and when it comes to talking publicly, you believe in evolution. What is she operating under? This sacred secular split. In her private life, she believes certain things. But in her public life, she believes that you have to just trust in scientific knowledge. Y'all tracking with me on that? We've got a vice president right now who's also a Catholic who very adamantly opposes abortion. Personally, as a Catholic, he has been vocal that I reject abortion. I don't think it's the right thing. But publicly, what are his policies? They're pro-choice. They're pro-choice. And he doesn't see any contradiction between that because he has bought into this sacred secular split that when it comes to my private life and my family, that's one thing. But as a public servant, I'm going to promote what I think is scientifically verifiable, and that's that abortion's okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. Private and public. So let's transfer over to values. These are all just different ways of looking at this sacred secular split. So values. Values are in the upper story. Values are my individual choices. How can I go to Africa and impose my values on someone over there who grew up with different values? I can't do that. That's upper story. That's just my individual choice. That's just me. So I, that, that doesn't inform the lower story, which is facts. And facts are binding on everyone. And so if you, if you went to university and you went to TCU or something like that, you probably heard this rhetoric come up of, hey, we just deal with the scientific facts that are verifiable, that are um, evidential, that are um, empirical. Uh, your values need to be left out of the classroom because we just live in the world of facts. Y'all tracking with me there? Sacred secular split. Okay. 
so this is kind of the summation of this, the, the two realm theory of truth. Upper story, lower story. Upper story is non-rational, meaning it's, it has nothing to do with the brain and reasoning. It's non-cognitive. It's not about thinking. It's not about rash, rationality. And the lower story is all about rationality and all about verifiability. So what does this do to the Christian faith? Where does this, where does this force the Christian faith to live? Y'all tell me. We can talk. We're quarantined into what story? Yeah, the upper story. Okay, so Christianity is all about values and doctrine and absolute truth that, that should shape everyone's morality. Christianity is about um, these, these deep-seated things about orthodoxy and philosophy of the meaning of life and the purpose of life and where we're going after we die and sin and grace and huge things that have impact on what you believe about political issues and, and social issues and how businesses should run and the ethics of businesses and all of that. And where has it been forced? Into the upper story. And so the lower story, which is where we make public policy, which is where we decide major things that shape cultures and shape states and shape cities, major things that, that you are, are taught in universities, even in religion classes, is, is just the facts, the things that we can see, the things that we can touch and feel, the things that science through, um, through hypothesis can prove, that's in the lower story. Now this is what, this is the sacred secular split. Any questions at this point? Because I see a lot of faces that are like, uh, are, are you tracking with me? Questions? Anything you've, Yeah. I'll summarize that. I need to be somebody needs to be bringing this around so we can get it on video. So, what about the government and and personal Christianity? Is that what you're saying? Like our personal faith? That's a great point. And and I would say that the sacred secular split. It, it, it's not addressing what the Bible commands about we should render under Caesar what is Caesar's. I think as Christians, our values inform that. This, this, is more of, this is more the idea that there's a public square where conversations about taxes, conversations about uh, um, uh, presidential races and positions on immigration and positions on uh, abortion and gay marriage. This is about... The Christian faith in the upper story informing your decisions on the lower story, which involve things like taxes and government. So I don't think Christians should take this and say, well, I'm, I, I don't believe in, in giving taxes and so I'm not going to do that. I think our beliefs have to be brought to the public square table to talk about this. So in, in, in a democracy, you have a, you have a public square, okay? And, and in the public square of a democracy, ideas are brought to the table and you wrestle with ideas. You elect officials that represent us as the people of that state or that city. And those elected officials are supposed to bring our 
desires and wants to the public square. And we should be able to dialogue and talk about policies and legislation and things like that. But what's happening in a post-Christian secular culture, what are they trying to do with Christians who say, I want to talk about this because of my Christian values? What happens there? They try to push those values up into the upper story and say, no, you can't come to the table unless you operate on this model. So if, if, if I say I don't, I don't believe in abortion because of my um, religious beliefs and I shouldn't have to give, um, I shouldn't have to require my employees to have health care that, that gives screening for abortions and things like that. I know, I know I'm not getting all the lingo right. They would say that your values can't affect the fact that the government wants to legislate that, if that makes sense. See, that's, that's, that's such a good point. Will you say it again on the mic? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, are there things that are going to be unconstitutional because the way that our government is set up and our constitution's written, that if we brought down our view into the public sphere and tried to change it, it would be against the country's guidelines. Right, but the assumption of that, one of the assumptions of that is that the people who operate on the lower story are not bringing their own views to that public square table. Um, those who are naturalists, we're going to talk next month about these opposing worldviews, but those who are naturalists believe certain things that actually aren't proven by facts. There's theories that they have given their life to. For example, the, the way the world began and evolution, where we came from, they still have a lot of holes in their theories, and yet they want to treat that as a fact, and so they can bring that to the, to the table when they're talking about textbooks and schools, but we want to just bring to the table our personal values and, um, you know, for us, objective truths, and so separation of church and state is not as much to protect the state as it is as much to protect the church. So when Thomas Jefferson talked about church and state way back with the founding fathers in the 1770s and 1780s, what he was worried about was the church of England becoming the state religion in America, and then people like a Bible church wouldn't be able to start because they'd have to pay taxes to the church of England. They all thought that wouldn't be a wise thing for a democracy, so let's separate the church from state to protect, to protect people like us who want to worship in a certain way. To protect Muslims who want to wor worship in a certain way. We don't have a state religion and that's because of the separation of church and state. But the intention was never to keep our values and morality out of the discussion about policies that affect our values and morality. So it's kind of got, got flipped upside down. Adam, do we have a mic we can run over there? How are we doing on time? I knew this would take a while. So um, we started this saying this was the Christian response, I think, is the category wonder. Yeah. So we're talking about how Christians respond by embracing this view. So how is the church choosing to be, or how are we as Christians choosing to be top shelf or bottom shelf, if you will? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think a, a lot of it is today... We have postmodernism and modernism. We have this idea that our faith is subjective and our values and morality are subjective. But objective reality is science and technology and things that we can prove in the here and now. So 
I want to ask a question to you guys based on that, because I think that's a very good question. I think this is a terrible model for the church. I think this has caused so many problems in our culture because we've bought into this without even knowing it. And we've been afraid to, to bring our, our personal beliefs and values into the secular world. Um, so how can we as Christians begin to break down this sacred-secular divide? I'm asking everyone, but if you want to kick it off, I'd love for you to kick it off. Okay. I think part of the issue stems from the concept that, as you were pointing out earlier, the things that are happening on the bottom floor are indeed beliefs and truths and things that these people are holding to, which by definition is a belief and a value. And I think that it's asinine to think that someone that has a belief of ours can't come into that sphere, round table, whatever, and talk about what we feel is true. And I think the problem is that it's labeled as a belief. It's labeled as a word that is used in a church, that is used in a religious area. And I think that to answer your question, how do we break that wall? First of all, we have to be humble and be like Christ would in those types of environments and not become defensive and not become scared and not, you know, give up. But also yeah. not to be rude and, you know, to defend our faith in a way that shows that we have knowledge and that the points that we have, I didn't use the word beliefs, but the, the things that we stand on are valid in the midst of these types of circumstances. That and, if, and, if, and if we're not thinking Christianly about all of life and why we do what we do, what we're going to do is maybe get a voice at the table and it's not a very intellectual, compelling argument. It's just, you know, this is what my Bible says and, and beating people over the head with the Bible, which I believe the Bible to be the authority and errant word of God. But when you come to the table, you have to be able to, um, you have to be able to come to the table and look at your views from all kinds of different angles to try to promote what you're trying to promote. And so if we're not developing our minds and thinking Christianly, when we do get a chance to go to the table, our arguments are not taken very seriously. Okay, hi. The whole private and public sphere, like when did that shift started happening? Do you know? And the reason why I asked that is so that w when we have these conversations with people and we're going up against these people, it's not just our generations that we're having to combat, it's the generations before us. Who are we batting, battling against? Yeah, I would argue that the Enlightenment was the beginning of this shift because before the Enlightenment, there was no separation of sacred and secular. Like all of someone's work was to the glory of God and, and the pastor in, in the New England towns and in England had a much more prominent role in shaping the life of the town, not just in the pulpit on Sundays, but, but the town hall and the sanctuary were in the same building. And that kind of was symbolic of the sacred and the secular being, you know, it's all sacred. But with the Enlightenment and this focus on reason and, and science with Charles Darwin coming along with the, the, um, with the scientific uh, advancements in technology and, and skepticism towards the things in the upper story, the divide began to happen more and more. And so we're, we're, 
we're fruits of that. And a lot of us don't even know we think that way, but a lot of us think in terms of this. We're scared to death to bring our values into our work. Or at least voice them at the table because we think it's going to be rejected. Because that's not the appropriate place to talk about my values. But in my mind, that's crazy. I mean, our values as Christians is what should shape everything we do. Whether it's dating, whether it's career choices, whether it's how we treat our boss or employees or our co-workers or our family or how we do uh, when we're married contraceptives and what we believe about in vitro fertilization and bio. I mean, all of these things should be under the authority of Jesus Christ. But when you split it up, we can compartmentalize our faith and justify making decisions that are contrary to the Word of God and all these other areas of our lives. Because we're not unified in the way we're thinking. And it's because we bought into this secular mindset and we haven't even known it. Or we've been taught it in, in the universities. So... What I think is funny, this, um, this is the, the public discourse, and each one of these X's is maybe a different person, maybe a, a, an, a naturalist, atheist, who's a professor in biology. You have philosophers that are, that are agnostic and atheist. You have uh, politicians, fill in the blank, rabbis, imams, Christians, whatever. Okay, they're all around the table, all around the table. And so the, the, the point is, is that those who have religious foundations and presuppositions in our culture are rejected. So the religious people don't get to express why they believe what they believe and bring that to the table because it's religious stuff, it's outdated, that was pre-modern period, that's, that's not considered legitimate today. But the scientists and the philosophers who believe in a secular worldview and are... Um, you know, evolutionary um, naturalist, they get to control the discussion. But the reality is they have beliefs that shape their, their policies. It's not just pure facts. It's not just pure rare, uh, rational and verifiable. It's not. I, I watched three documentaries that, that Richard Dawkins did, who's a uh, professor at Oxford, or he was, in, in some form of, of biology. And he did this three-part series on the, the uh, disease of faith. And I mean, it was just so uh, militant against faith. And all of his arguments were in the world of philosophy. Very few of his arguments were scientific, even though that, that's where he's skilled and specializes. He went into the world of philosophy. And it was just a lot of straw men that he was setting up and tearing down. And, and, and what I found is that most of his beliefs towards religion are internal values, not based on science. Are you all tracking with me? Or am I going at a million miles an hour and you're, and you're not following me? What I'm proposing is that we as Christians, you as young adults who are going to be the future culture shapers in Fort Worth or wherever you go, I want you to focus on in your life breaking down this sacred secular split. I think um, the hard thing would be that everyone who views things in the public sphere, in the public sphere, uh, so basically atheists and uh, philosophers who are, you know, very, they think crazy things, in my opinion. Um, but all these people who um, look at things from a secular perspective think that their values don't have weight 
over everyone else. What they believe is what they believe, and what you believe is what you believe. But as Christians, we believe that what we believe, what Scripture says, has an effect on everybody. So how do we bridge that gap and help people to understand that what we believe has an effect on them? Yeah. And that's why we want to bring it into the light. That's why we want to make it affect every part of our lives sure. and how the world around us is is run, basically. That, that's a great question. And I would go back to there's no one around the table who doesn't believe certain things that they don't want to see other people believe. For example, Richard Dawkins, one of his big things was uh, they need to quit indoctrinating their, their kids with their religion and let their kids choose freely what what they want to believe in. And yet, he's doing a whole documentary trying to get people to stop believing this and start believing that. And there was a, another scientist named Michael Kra- or Lawrence Krauss. Have you all heard of him? Uh, he's a militant atheist. He thinks that every scientist should be a militant atheist. And he's an evangelist for promoting militant atheism among the scientific community. So he doesn't respect the many scientists who have a theistic worldview and he's just as much proselytizing them to convert to his view as we are trying to proselytize people to convert to our biblical worldview. There's nobody who, this is a big point, there's nobody who comes to the table that's purely objective. There's not one person in this world that doesn't have presuppositions that they believe in that influence what they're trying to promote and what they're trying to uh, teach. There's nobody that check hello. There's nobody that's actually saying this is just my belief and it doesn't affect anybody else. In every circle and every area of life, if somebody has a belief, if they're in the public sphere and they're saying something about it, they are saying it should apply to the people around them. Whether that's you're the talking point about of public Planned discourse. Parenthood or you're talking about public schools or you're talking about whatever the case may be, any value that you have that you're gonna talk about openly is a value that you're suggesting everybody ought to have. It's common sense, in my opinion. How many of you in your university setting felt like you were free to express your Christian worldview and that it was treated as part of the the dialogue and conversation uh, around your classroom? If all of you raise your hand, praise God. But were there some of you that that wasn't the case, where you felt like you were coming from, you were the underdog in the class the whole time? You failed two classes because of your Christian position. So that was about half the room. So praise God, a lot of you didn't feel that. But it's increasingly becoming that way, especially at Ivy League schools where those, they're cranking out the future culture makers in our society. So let me move on real quick. We've got a few minutes. Um, so what does it mean to think Christianly, Christianly and have a Christian worldview? Number one, it means to love God with all your mind. So in your notes, that's the third point. It means to love God with all your mind. You don't have to, uh, you can write this down, Luke 22, 36, and 37, but you don't have to look it up. A guy came to Jesus and said, what is the great, greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I believe one of the most damaging things in the church today is we're all living based on emotions and we haven't been developing our Christian mind. Al Mohler said, a failure of Christian thinking is a failure of discipleship. 
For we are called to love God with our minds. Second thing, how do we think Christianly? It means to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So you guys need to take these ideas that are being thrown at you every day from different mediums and you need to take those ideas captive to the obedience of Christ and say, do they reflect what the Bible says about this particular thing? Um, So love God with all your mind, take every thought captive. Number three, fill your mind with the word of God. And one of you guys mentioned that earlier, I think it was Brett. Until we know the Word of God, we can't see the secular world through a Christian lens. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we know what's good and what's bad in the world that we live in? By discerning the will of God. And how do we discern the will of God? We transform our mind by renewing our mind with truth. Here's another great quote from Al Mohler. And I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll send you some of this stuff, guys, because I know you're not able to get all this. I should have put it in there. But he says, thinking Christianly means to bring every issue, every question, every cultural concern into submission to all that the Bible reveals. And it reframes all our understanding with the ultimate purpose of bringing greater glory to God. Every aspect of your life, every single aspect of your life, the first question you should ask if there's a question that you have is, what does the Bible say about that? And then finally, it means to have an answer for the hope that you have. What does it mean to think Christianly? You've got to have an answer for the hope that you have. Hopefully, guys, we're not just walking around starting arguments and trying to win. This isn't about winning. It's about living a life that's so appealing to the watching world that they say, man, what's different about you? And in that moment... You have an answer. And if they come back with, hey, well, what about this? That you at least have some working knowledge of, of some difficult issues in the Christian life. First Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Guys, this is a lot of stuff, but we're doing this once a month. And what I want this to provoke in you guys is a longing to know more about the glory and greatness of Jesus Christ and how that shapes the way you live your life. I'm telling you guys, it's changed my life. I think you can ask the guys that meet with me in my roundtable group. uh, We used to meet on Thursday nights for two years. That it shaped the way that they have thought about their life. What I don't want to happen with our ministry is that on Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights... And on, in our small groups that we have this Christian rhetoric and we, we think Christianly and we have all the right answers. But the other gazillion hours of the week that really matter, that that, that, that Christianity stays in the upper story. What I want to see from our ministry is that we begin to take the upper story into the lower story. And we begin to live all of our lives as sacred. Not just these fleeting moments that... Everything we do, we consider an opportunity to glorify God. And the only way to do that is to start thinking Christianly about all of life. 
I've had guys come to me and go, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. I've made this major decision. I've walked with these guys for months, maybe even years. And it's like, hey, I want to give you a heads up that I made this major decision and so-and-so is moving in and, and we just love each other and we think that, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, why are you telling me after the fact that this is something we needed to walk through about what does the Bible say about that? And you know, they didn't see a problem with it. it. It didn't even cross their mind that that would not be something to talk about biblically. They just thought, well, the world does this. Obviously, you move in with your girlfriend because, you know, you got to get to know them, right? You know, that's worldly wisdom. And it's like, I want to see our people, I want to see you guys begin to buy into this idea that I'm going to spend the rest of my life not only developing my affections for Jesus, but my mind for Jesus. And what's funny is our mind actually shapes our affections, the mind and the heart should be working as one. And so before we close, we got, we got a few minutes. Um, I want to hear some questions or maybe just some, some give God the glory that, that you have bought into this and seen some fruit of that, and then we'll finish up. So uh, we got a mic in the back that Adam has. Any questions or um, thoughts on that? Just kind of a Q&A time, or I just want to make, I just want to affirm that this is something I've seen in my own life. I want to respect your time and get out at 8 o'clock, but I wanted to open that up. Lonnie? Kristen, why don't you come up here in case you have any thoughts? I was just going to say that uh, sometimes, I think, I think it isn't really that Christianity was being constrained into one and needs to come to the other. It's, it's both at the same time and a lot of times I like to say that really Christianity is reason, it is logic, it is, it is the history from where all our science has come from pretty much. The vast majority of our science and technology has come from the fact that rational humans were created by a rational God and uh, I think we sometimes have it the other way around that we try to base all of our uh, logic or, or use pathos or, or emotions instead. Great point. And if you look at the history of Christianity, you know, before the sacred secular split, we, we saw amazing um, advancements in technology and in science by Christian people who, who bought into this idea that there is no upper and lower story, that it's all about the glory of God. Any, any other questions back here? We're going to make this available, so um, that's kind of why we're going through the hassle of doing that. What Hi, is your name? Um, Tanya. Tanya. Yeah. So... One of the things that just kind of crossed my mind and just kind of add to the discussion is that I think one of the, I guess, one of the reasons why we've seen such this, a split and why it's taken such a grip on our society is that as Christians, we're great at coming up with ideas and, you know, the values that are so important, but sometimes we lack the compassion. And that's something, um, I guess, like I've grown up in the church my whole life, and one of the areas that I've experienced that firsthand has been that my family um, has my youngest sister is severely mentally disabled. And so I grew up in like literally churches that tell my parents that we didn't fit. Wow. And so that's like something that I've seen change in the church. It's really awesome. But I think that's also one of the reasons why our society is saying, I don't really want to deal with that. Man, that's powerful. And that's, that's tragic that there's churches that don't buy into the concept that this is not just intellectual knowledge like we want to win arguments, but this is about living a life where your whole person is bringing glory to God. And if you get a church together that has that mentality, 
those kind of situations should definitely not happen. Because your, is it sister, your younger sister? Um, your understanding of who God is and who man is in the image of God and the dignity of every human being that's, been, that's ever been created, even in the womb, should shape the way you treat people and should shape your policy in the, in the lower story. And, and that, that's a great example of maybe, maybe in the upper story people think, oh yeah, you should love all people, but it never had gotten down into the way they actually function on a weekly basis. So that's a great point. Adam? I think in some ways I have two thoughts. One is that we as Christians also tend to, like we are human and so we have faults, but we tend to be lazy in that we, we come to a, an impasse where somebody asks us a question we don't know the answer to, and we say something like, you just have to have faith. Or, well, you should pray about it. Or, you know, something to do with just, just trust in blind faith. And the world looks at us and goes, well, do you sound like a flat earther? You know? Yeah. Like the earth still revolves, or everything still revolves around the earth or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and so we don't take the effort to educate ourselves in how to think, not just Christianly, although Christianity should be the lens we see everything through, we need to think rightly in the first place and be able to logically articulate our position. And, That's a great and point. In general, we don't make the effort to exercise that muscle. We don't learn how to think rightly first before we think Christianly. We, when we run into a problem, we just go straight to, we'll just trust Jesus. Yeah, and it's not that any of that that you said is not true. Faith and prayer is essential. But when you're dealing with someone who doesn't have that, and we're going to deal with this more and more, when you're dealing with someone that doesn't even have a category for that stuff, they're just completely post-Christian, um, you have to be able to talk to them about um, intellectual things and, and science and philosophy. And um, I'm a big proponent in not just reading your Bible, but reading your Bible and also reading widely in all kinds of different fields because for me it's opened up numerous conversations where I can actually talk to people and have conversations in, in areas that really are not involved with being a pastor. Um, and so I, I am a advocate for read often, read widely, and become bookworms. That is my big thing, and people make fun of me for that. But I think it's, it's extremely important if you want to be a good disciple. Yeah, for my... I was in Tyler's Roundtable group and uh, just going through one of the founding that, fathers of that yeah, group. So, uh, but... Uh, you know, people who come from the secular side, they look at Christians as like we do live like highly in the upper level story and we just cannot rationalize any sort of argument whatsoever and we're not practical. Like you just you guys don't think you believe in this guy with a beard and this guy and just uh we can't come down to just talk about real issues. Uh, yeah. everything has to be like this whole like, oh, faith belief story. But uh you know, one of my favorite passages is Acts 17, where Paul goes into Athens and there's gods, you know, idols uh, for everything. And he goes all around Athens before he goes and talks to the people on the hill. And he just analyzes everything that they, you know, believe Studies in. Studies their culture. And then he comes in and disparages everything that they're talking about and comes to that unknown God idol. So it's like, in case we missed it, any God... We have this unknown God that we have to worship. And he's like, well, let me tell you about this unknown God. And uh, so he comes in, and, you know, it built a bridge for him to share the gospel. 
you know, you know who's an expert you, at that is Tim Keller. Yeah, if you would have came in and just said, hey, let me just tell you about this Jesus, they have no concept of that. But he was like, let me tell you about all your gods, and let me tell you about this. Yeah, he used their literature and their poetry and their religions to communicate the truth about Jesus Christ. And Tim Keller is a pastor in Manhattan, New York, dealing with a lot of secular uh, skeptics who are highly intelligent. And the way he preaches is he takes secular authors and philosophers and he uses their points to prove things about Christianity. And so he breaks down those barriers um, that a lot of pastors want to just go straight to the Bible. He tries to build that connection through their own authors to make spiritual points and he's seen a lot of fruit from that. Maybe two more questions and we'll wrap it up. Um, I guess I was just going to kind of go off of what you were just talking about in that as we... As Christians, we need to approach non-Christians uh, in order to penetrate the popular culture and, and, and understand at least that, you know, as Jesus said, you know, those, those who have ears, let them hear, and that these people do not know Jesus, and it has not been revealed to them. So one of the most important things you can do is still pray for them, um, but also to use reason and to use um, popular culture or things that they recognize and understand to communicate still Christianity to them. Um, and, and in doing so, continue to pray for them uh, because in the end, God changes their hearts. And, and there may be people that we come into contact with who, um, however we influence them, uh, they may be able to change popular culture in a single person, like these these Harvard people that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but if you do, in each of your conversations uh, throughout your days, practice these these ideas and these concepts of changing culture, then you'll get better at it. Great point. Great point. Uh, we got a couple more over here. Last um, last two. I just had like a a few points. Um, the first of being that I'm just a real big propo uh, proponent of uh, kind of earning the right to be heard um, in terms of really trying to like live out your faith um, and, and making it something that is desirable um, because <clears throat> it's like one of those things when you don't um, – I mean, one of the biggest things in, in popular culture, and, and especially with politics nowadays, is that, you know, you're screwed if you're a hypocrite, right? Like, if if, if you're hypocrite, like, if, if you have any hypocrisy to your policy or your actions, they, I mean, you're done as a politician. And the truth of the matter is, is that as Christians, we're all hypocrites um, in that we fall short um, of, of, you know, what it's like to really... Uh, follow Christ and, and be Christ-like. So I think there's just an importance in how you carry yourself, uh, like an added importance in how you carry yourself just for the collateral damage that there could be. Um, just because you lose any credibility um, if when, you know, you're a listener and a, a proclaimer of the word, but not a doer of the word. Um, so I think that is... Uh, That's a, a key point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a great point. David? As I am the last one, I will be quick. Um, one thing I would say uh, overall is when you come in contact with these conversations, 
and you're not prepared, that's okay. That's practice. Um, I would encourage you not to say, oh, well, you know, kind of as Adam said, don't be lazy about it. Don't just belay it. Like, oh, I don't actually want to talk about that because that's uncomfortable. Or, oh, I don't want to talk about it because I'm not prepared. Well, 90% of life is not being prepared and adapting to what's not, what you're not able to do. Um, and of course, sometimes, sometimes people's inconsistencies aren't your responsibility and that's okay. Um, but I would encourage you not to shy away from practicing. Um, when that shows up in your life, grab it, fail with it. It's okay. You will be fine. It's, you're not going to die, but you should, you know, step out there and see what you can do. You'll surprise yourself. I guarantee you will. Yeah, that's great. That's a great way to end it. And I, I just plead with you guys to not, um, put aside the priority of developing your mind. I know you're all busy. I'm busy. All of our staff is busy. But uh, what I love about my staff in particular is, uh, and the residents as well, is they seem to have this desire to learn and grow. And I think if you look back through the history of civilization, the, the people that have really made an impact are the ones that are curious about the things of life and are hungry to learn. And if they don't know the answer, they have this drive that makes them want to go find the answer. And I think that's part of being a disciple is wanting to dive into knowing more of who God is and knowing more of who, who humanity is and, and how can you be a light in that. And so thank you guys for your discussion and questions. And I know we left a lot of questions unanswered, but we've got three times to meet this semester. And so spread the word for next month. Um, we'll be talking about the secular mind. And so we'll get into the different isms, secularism and and relativism and postmodernism and I want to try to 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 not just tell you what they say but give some some maybe video clips of what people are teaching in in the classrooms and and hopefully it'll be a great dialogue between us and um, so thank you guys for coming uh, Kristen would you like to close us out in, in prayer and then we got more snacks in the back grab some coffee drinks and um, what pardon me okay okay good yeah eat them eat them um, let's pray. Okay, let's pray. Father God, um, I thank you that you are a God who made us in your image, and that includes um, making us people who have minds and can use them. God, I pray that um, as we talked about First Peter tonight, as Tyler mentioned that, that um, you told us to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Um, I pray that we would all take that challenge to heart. Um, that we would try to think proactively um, of objections that might come up, conversations we might have, and study your word in advance and learn about these things so that, one, we can know you better and glorify you through the use of our minds, but also so that we will be prepared to share our hope with people who have questions. Um, just teach us how to use our minds better for your glory because um, that's what we want, and that's what we're here to do, is bring you glory. Um, so I just pray that you'll make that happen in our lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.